and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. You got to do all of it now. You're committed. My name is Nick. My name is Nick. <laughs> no, I'm doing the intro. So your name is Nika. Okay. And this is the podcast where I teach my wife music history, even though she really doesn't care about music history, but we have a good time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> good job. Follow us on Twitter. It's Sound of History underscore. And I think it's just Sound of History on Facebook. I don't know if we should even plug that anymore. <laughs> we but don't Facebook do anything is on non existent. <laughs> Facebook is nothing. Twitter's barely existent at this point. I need to I need to post more TikToks. TikTok needs to be better. That's really what needs to happen. That's true. Yeah. What if we had a TikTok? Oh boy. It would yet another thing we don't post on. Just be cat <laughs> videos. Probably, yeah. It, it would it would not be any sort of music. <laughs> well, no, we'd post music maybe. Yeah, I'd post clips of this show. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah, it's too much work. That, would, gonna... that would mean videoing us, and I do not look good no, 90% do, of the time. I used to post little audio clips on Twitter that were just like the episode title card with mm. a backtrack of us talking. You did? Yeah, like back when oh. this first started, I would do that. Why don't you care about them anymore? It's just so much work. <laughs> this can't be bothered to here, do folks, all that. You heard it here, folks. He does not care about the quality of this podcast. That's not true. I don't care about promoting <laughs> it on social media. That's fair, too. All right, well, Mika's the host now. Mika's always been the host this episode. Mika but now is she's, the host now. Now she's double the host. What do you got for us? All right, I... Just want to tell people, because I'm so excited. I just made the single best dish I've ever made in my life. Right? Is there anything huh. better that I have made? I mean, I like the Chipotle tacos. The Chipotle tacos are pretty good. I'm telling you, I love the, the meatballs with the hoisin sauce. I love that. That's that. I don't know if putting sauce on frozen meatballs and putting it in a slow cooker is cooking i mean the best meal i can make is pizza rolls so i think it counts and you do a damn good job thank you anyway it's the best thing ever and i have been really enjoying cooking but today i wasn't feeling it and then i made that and i'm just like oh my god my mind is blown oh i didn't tell you what it was <laughs> so it's 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 um i cooked bacon um, and then I kept the bacon grease and I cooked the onion in that, like sweet onion, and then added garlic. And Nick was grilling corn at the same time. And then I cooked like a package of gnocchi, just like boiled it like you're supposed to. And then to the oil and the um, onion and the garlic, I added half and half and Parmesan cheese and then I just like mixed it all together and added basil and it is mind-blowing it was very good it was so good i mean with those ingredients it's bound to be but it was still very good it was it, i did it a really good you job you did a though. really good job it was it was cooked very well i am a chef now the and corn was good too the corn was perfect you did such a good job i'm serious i'm really excited about this <laughs> anyway cooking is really great i i love food the other thing I love is Top Chef, which is more food because it's so much fun. And like you get to like see the different like culture aspects of food. Oh, man. It just makes me excited. 
Padma is just a boss ass bitch and looks phenomenal 100% of the time. And so does Gail and so does Tom and so does every single guest on that show. I literally like am so happy about that show. Okay. I am. And they've done such a good job like adjusting it to be like safe with COVID. They, I just cannot. I can't. Ugh, I love food. Anything else you're going to plug? I'm going to anti-plug. I'm going to anti-plug the Bud Light Seltzer's Summer Cocktail Edition. Okay. It's disgusting. Regular Bud Light Seltzers are good, though. Regular Bud Light Seltzers are the best ones. The, like, weird Summer Cocktail Edition is worse than Truly's. It's so bad. Hmm. The Aspartame is just, it it was trash. They were trash. The only reason I drank most of them is because I had a tequila shot first, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and then it took like months to finish the pack. Okay. No, I have not tried them because I don't like seltzers in general. So I assume I'm not going to like the bad ones. They were disgusting. There's no point in me trying it. They were not good. All right. Anything else to plug or anti-plug? But the like seltzers are real good though. <laughs> okay. I guess that's it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I love how in my original plan, this was supposed to be a time for you to talk about the music you like and any new stuff you were listening to. It was? Yeah. That When it, it first came out, that's this what- This is supposed I, to be about music? I mean, it not anymore, but <laughs> in my original plan, it was. Just I can talk about music too. Just because we talk about a whole bunch of music that you don't really generally care about. Like you probably will this episode, but- in general, you don't like or care about the music we talk mm, about. So I was like, I'll true. give you a window to talk about the music that you like. Well, oh my gosh, I sure can. Guess <laughs> what album came out this last week that I love? Matt Kearney? Yes. Oh, I, th- I was debating between that and Olivia Rodrigo, no. but you don't love that one. I so. don't. It's fine. I, f- I just, I seriously just feel bad for the dude at I this just, point. I feel bad for Billy Joel at this point. <laughs> Trying to imply that Billy Joel is somehow niche and a hipster thing. To, it's Billy Joel. You can't. I can't get over that. <laughs> You're so mad. I love Billy Joel, and he's not something you have to introduce people to. He's just Billy Joel. <laughs> you introduced Billy Joel to me. Yeah, but you're you. Hey. <laughs> You I'm just a normal dis- person. You just figured out Fleetwood Mac was a thing hey, like two months ago. Shut up. <laughs> I'm trying here. It's true. It's not like I don't have a good taste in music. I just didn't know. No one ever sat me down and listened to listen. Made me, huh? (laughs) Okay, but Matt Kearney released an album. January Flower. It's beautiful. I mean, we already had heard most of it if you're following him over the past year. But he did a great job, and he rolled around Nashville in a truck playing his album, and I was at work. (laughs) so sad it looks hopefully so he'll cute. tour it soon oh man yeah oh man maybe he'll do like a cool outdoor venue situation yeah. or an indoor one or an i i know but like i don't, I don't know <laughs> maybe I live on the green will be back maybe he'll play that he already did play live on the green so i don't know if they'd have him back like I think would that will. be two years in a row no because they didn't do it last year yeah but like he did it the year before that maybe i don't know didn't he I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I'm really excited to see that one live. I'm really excited to see him do a whole set because 
I mean, he just did. Uh, well, no, he had a pretty long set for Live on the Green. I just, I just, oh my gosh, I love him. It was a beautiful album. It was so good. All right. We done with Mika's plugs? Mika's the host now? Yeah, Mika's no longer the host now. All I'm right. tired of talking. <laughs> well, this is the very start of the podcast. So uh, <laughs> that's well. great news. I talked for like eight minutes straight. <laughs> so it's true. Now I get to talk for 40 minutes straight. So do you remember what we talked about last episode? It was a while ago. I'm done talking now. No, I'm asking you a question. You have to. Mm. Yeah, I remember what we talked about because my friend texted me. Hi, Jess. That's the only reason. Not because I'm such a good teacher that it sticks in your memory. I remember that the one guy was like the attractive movie star guy. The movie star. <laughs> and then the other guy was um, was, was funny. And, <laughs> and he feels like he's he's not respected in the rat pack and i feel bad about that but he he did a good job <laughs> that's yes. what i remember <laughs> in short we're talking about the rat pack that's the answer i was looking for <laughs> we have just started talking about the rat pack last week we talked about joey bishop and peter lawford but like before we get into this do you want to give a brief summary of what the rat pack was in your words Good music, handsome men. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll leave it at that, I guess. Today, we're going to actually talk about, we're going to start talking about the different musicians who are in the Rat Pack, because last week was not a music episode, the first ever non-music episode of this podcast. And we're going to start with Sammy Davis Jr. Do you know anything about him, really? Other than if not listening really. to his songs? No. All right, well, you're about to learn, and I'm going to quiz you next episode, so you got to... That's a bad idea. You got ah! <laughs> Got to keep up. Don't don't oh. But I am scared to be quizzed on the Rat Pack because I've always been scared to be quizzed on the Rat Pack because Papa Jack will be disappointed in me if I get stuff wrong. Well, then you better study. Okay. Sammy Davis Jr. was born in December of 1925 in the Harlem neighborhood of New York City. His father, any guesses what his name was? Sammy Davis Sr. Yep. Was senior, senior, senior. No, just senior. Okay. <laughs> was a stage performer and entertainer, mostly known for his dancing. Sammy Sr. joined a dancing trio called the Will Maston Trio that eventually performed on Broadway in a show called Mr. Wonderful and performed in a few different movies. Sammy's mother, oh boy. Elvira Sanchez. Elvira? Elvira? E-L-V-E-R-A. I don't know how to... Miss Sanchez was also a stage performer and tap dancer. That's cool. She was the daughter of Cuban immigrants. And she was a chorus line dancer at the Apollo Theater for a while before retiring at the age of 35. That's awesome. Yep. Sammy grew up going to the theaters and performances with his parents, so he was around show business basically from birth. Oh, that's like so much fun, and he grew heard up in so it. many inappropriate things. Oh, probably, yeah. His parents split up when he was three, and Sammy's father got full custody, but it sounds like he still saw his mother quite a bit. But his father, not wanting to lose custody, took Sammy on tour with him. So as a little kid, Sammy was That's complete. what you do to take care of a child. 
Sammy was completely immersed in performance and show business because he was on the road with his father. Sammy learned to dance from his father and actually joined the Will Maston trio with him. His, fa- uh, his father and his godfather, Will Maston, shielded him from the racism that was happening at the time by calling any semblance of racial prejudice jealousy. So, so Sammy was pretty sheltered to all of that as a kid, but eventually he had to face it later in his career. Okay. Yeah. Because of this touring lifestyle, Sammy never received a formal education, but his father would occasionally hire tutors for him while they were out on the road. Just every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, they're moving around a bunch. They probably can't hire a tutor to, like, travel with them. It was the bus driver. (laughs) Okay. Through this constant touring, Sammy learned not only how to dance, but became quite good at singing and comedy, and soon became the star of their little trio show. I bet he was such a cool kid. Yeah. I mean, he was... What, like 12 at this point, maybe? Because he was born in 25, and this is 33. Oh, so he's like 8. Good math. A little 8-year-old boy singing and dancing and doing comedy. I love it. Oh, man, I love it so much. (laughs) Around this time, he had his first movie appearance, dancing in Rufus Jones for President. I think I tried to find a clip of that and couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, well. That would have been so cute. If anyone has a copy of Rufus Jones for president, try and find little baby Sammy Davis Jr. dancing around in it. But in 1943, Sammy's career was interrupted when he was drafted into the Army. That was also where he first came face-to-face with racism. Oof. He was constantly harassed and abused by the white soldiers, and they broke his nose several times until it was permanently flattened. He said that he must have been in a bad fight pretty much every three days. But he found refuge from that in an entertainment regiment where he found a passion to earn love, even from audience members that hated him. Yeah. Oh, oh. Kind of like what, that's what fueled him. He just wanted the audiences to love him. He said, quote, my talent was the weapon, the power, the way for me to fight. It was the one way I might hope to affect a man's thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, but I mean, he's not wrong. Sammy said about his experience with racism in the Army, quote, Overnight, the world looked different. It wasn't one color anymore. I could see the protection I'd gotten all my life from my father and Will. I appreciated their loving hope that I'd never need to know about prejudice and hate, but they were wrong. It was as if I'd walked through a swinging door for 18 years, a door which they had always secretly held open. Dang. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not one to speak about what, if that was the right approach his father took. I don't know. Not for I me to say. I can only imagine how difficult it is yeah. to uh, focus on being a kid and developing in that sort of uh, circumstances. So Yeah. In 1945, he was discharged and went back to performing with his father and Will Maston, who were performing in clubs around Portland. Don't know how they ended up in Portland. Completely opposite coast of where they started, but, you know, whatever. Just just took their time getting over there. (laughs) He also recorded a couple of blues songs under an alias for Capitol Records. I also tried to find those songs, but I do not think they exist on YouTube, so we can't really listen to them, which is a bummer. Just imagine Sammy Davis Jr. singing the blues, and then that's probably what it sounded like. I think that would be sweet. 
1947, the trio's fame started to rise when they opened for Frank Sinatra. From there, they opened for a few other notable names and always got fantastic reactions from the crowds. Sammy, again, started to emerge as the star of the show, and his impersonations and miming always won the crowd over. Which is interesting. Like, not his singing or his dancing. It's his, like, kind of more comedy routines is what was hooking people. You love a funny boy. (laughs) Probably just different. So people were like, what's this thing? In 1953... Sammy was offered a TV show on ABC called Three for the Road with the Will Maston Trio. It was actually a pretty progressive concept for its time, and it featured African-American entertainers as struggling musicians instead of the slapstick comedy goofs that were popular at the time. That's honestly pretty impressive because he was doing comedy. Yeah, it was portraying them as real people. Fancy that. What? It featured some high-profile, groundbreaking African-American artists, like the first black ballet dancer in the (gasps) Parisian Opera. Whoa. And three actors who would later form the American Negro Theater, which is, I think, still operational. Still a big thing. Cool. But probably because of all of that, the network couldn't get a sponsor, and the show was dropped. But the fact that it was billed as the... Maston Trio proved how popular their little act was getting. Like, even though they were just one act of many on the show, they were kind of like the headliners of this TV show. What you doing? Looking at the American Negro Theater. Oh, okay. I mean, I know it's a b- I've heard of it, but I don't know if it's still in operation. No, it, it closed in 1949. Oh, wow. Oh, but this says 1955. Yeah, I mean... No way it closed in 40. No, well, yeah, maybe. No, because this was 53. This says 1951. This was 53 when he was on the TV show, and there was people who hadn't started it yet who would go on to start it. Well, I am confused. <laughs> okay. Google did not help me. Maybe there were different like variations of it. Anyway. It was around this time that Sammy, because he was being singled out by critics, started to record some albums. He caught the attention of Decca Records, who signed him to a contract in 1954. He was hired to sing the title song for a Universal Picture movie, Six Bridges to Cross. Do you want to hear that song? Yeah! Alright, here's our first taste of Sammy. I don't, I don't like that. Six bridges to cross Which one is the right one? I know my love waits for me And I ask which one shall it be? I think it's the fourth one. It's the right one. Why? Six bridges to cross Each one seems the right one and yet I know I must choose For this love I dare not lose Send me a star, a heavenly light To help me find the way Wherever you are, let me right. be What happens? He doesn't choose one. I have he no doesn't. Idea. <laughs> I don't know. 
You'll, you'll have to. He says he has to choose. You'll have to go to his our. Love he cannot lose. You'll have to go to our Spotify playlist and listen to the whole song. I still haven't found it. <laughs> it's just Sound of History playlist. You have to search playlist? Well, if you type in Sound of History, you'll probably get our podcast first. Yeah, that, that's why I can't find the playlist. And then you have to like go to the playlist section and search that. When did I get so technological illiterate? Technologically illiterate. Because you're old. Yeah. However, in the midst of this rising success, Sammy's career hit a bit of a snag. What was the snag? Was it alcohol? No. You want to take another guess? Drugs. No. Unwanted pregnancy. No. When on the way to Los Angeles to do some soundtrack recording, he was involved in a near-fatal car accident. Oh. The accident caused him to lose his left eye, and he'd wear a glass eye for the rest of his life. I did not know that. I didn't either until I was doing this. However, that didn't stop him, and he was back on stage within weeks of the accident, joking about his new eye patch. Nice. Yeah. During his recuperation, he also converted to Judaism partly because he saw the similarities between Jewish persecution and the persecution of African Americans. Mm. He was also given the gift of a mezuzah, which was a piece of parchment inscribed with Hebrew verses. Sammy always wore it around his neck. The one time he forgot to wear it was the night of the accident. Oh my goodness. <laughs> In 1955, Sammy released his first two albums to huge success. These albums helped open even more doors for him in other entertainment avenues. His first album rose to number one in the charge, charts. That was his only album to ever reach number one. Aww. And it was also, well, I mean, I think so. I, I could be wrong about it. If I'm wrong about that, correct me. We'll have a correction corner. And it was the first album by an African-American solo artist to hit number one. That's cool. Nat King Cole, Benny Goodman, and the Ink Spots had all hit number one before, but they were, like, with groups and ensembles and stuff. Okay. He performed and acted in a few different television specials and films. He also made his first Broadway performance in 1956 in Mr. Wonderful with the Will Maston Trio, I'm nice. guessing. yeah. He'd come back to Broadway a couple of times throughout his career, and he always did quite well, but it'd never be his first love. He always preferred film or music. Here is one of his most popular songs from his first album during this time period. Yay! I don't remember what it is. I didn't write it down. It's called Hey There. He his many fans by exposing another facet of his already myriad talents when he recorded the hit ballad from the Broadway musical Pajama Game. Here's Sammy and Did she say Pajama King? Hello, I heard Pajama Games. Well, listen, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock on the nose. Yeah, don't be late this time, huh, sweetie? Okay, bye. Oh, so hey there, you're with the stars in your eyes. Love never made a fool of you. You used to be too wise. Hey there, you on that high flying cloud. Though she won't throw a crumb to you, you think someday she'll come to you. 
better forget her Her with her nose in the air She has you dancing on a string Break it and she won't care Won't you take this advice I hand you like a brother Or are you not seeing things too clear? Are you too much in love to hear? Is it all going in one ear? No! I'll right, say there. He's, we're, in the, we're in like the climax of the song. I don't think we are. There's two minutes left of this song. But he's in the middle of one of the... You'll just have to go to the playlist and listen to the whole I want to watch him singing it to me. We've got several more songs to get through. I think we have three more songs. You'll be okay. I do love that song. I didn't know that that was his originally. I mean, it might have been a cover. I don't know about original, but... Well, it was on his first album, right? Yeah, but... That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, someone else could have recorded that on one of their albums first. Through the end of the 50s, Sammy continued in his successful career, releasing popular songs, starring in movies like 1959's Porgy and Bess, but he had a little trouble establishing himself as an actor. So do you remember Porgy and Bess at all? Does no. that sound familiar? I mean, yeah, but no. It sounded familiar the first time we talked about it. I think it was in the Gershwin episodes. The Gherkins? <laughs> yes. The I baby it, Gherkins? I think it was one of their plays, and I think it's where the Summertime song came from. Summertime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's it. But that I was I was joking. Are you not joking? I sang the wrong song. No, summertime and the living is easy. That's what. That's the right song. It's slower what? than that. It's more like dramatic. But what? <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm gonna have to look it up now. But I'm if I'm remembering correctly, because it was originally. Uh yeah, it was by the. The Gherkins. Yes, it was originally a show based on a book, which like a book called Porgy, and he stayed with the author of it, one of the Gershwins, and then wrote this. I song. remember this video. Yeah, we showed this one. You have to let me listen to it though. It's way slower and more dramatic, but. All right. What? That's where we're leaving it. But yeah, so he starred in the, I don't know, star. He was in the movie version of that in 1959. But I mean, other than that, he did have a little bit of trouble establishing himself as an actor. I'm guessing most African-American actors probably struggled with at the time. The Rat Pack movies where he played himself did quite well, but whenever he had to be a character, the audience had a hard time seeing him as anyone other than himself. So in a way, he was kind of like a victim of his own fame. Yeah. 1959 was also the year he became a member of the Rat Pack. After opening for Frank in 1947, the two kept in touch and worked together various times throughout the years. Frank originally wanted to call the Rat Pack the Clan, but Sammy vetoed that for obvious reasons. Yeah! (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And it's Frank never liked the name Rat Pack. He always hated it. He never called it the Rat Pack. Yeah, he wanted to. Yeah. He no, called it the it. Summit instead. That was his name for it. Why is he a pretentious asshole? I mean, that's better than the Clan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Glad Sammy was around to veto that idea. <laughs> I shouldn't have to. Poor boy. Yeah. Oh, I'm uncomfy. <laughs> As a member of the Rat Pack or the Summit. No. In the 60s. We do not let him get his pretentious <laughs> asshole all over this more than it is. <laughs> Sammy also starred in several of their highly successful films like Ocean's Eleven and Robin and the Seven Hoods. They also performed together on stage really frequently, most notably in Las Vegas, a town that Frank Sinatra loved. I think all of them kind of loved it, but like Frank more so. He also kept releasing albums on Decca before being signed by Reprise, which was Frank's label that he started. He was the first African-American artist signed to that label, which makes sense because it's Frank's label. He was nominated for a Grammy for Record of the Year for What Kind of Fool Am I? Nice. Want to listen to that one? I I so do. Okay, here's What Kind of Fool Am I. I don't know if he won the Grammy. I probably should have included that, but he was nominated. Don't you think that your information would have said he won a Grammy for? I mean, probably, but I never know when I write these. I don't know what I think to include. What kind of fool am I? We talk more about Reprise in Frank's episode. It was an interesting little project he started. Is that him? He's very artist-centric. I mean, I'm guessing. They throw He's a handsome around. as hell. Look at that broody man. That one's a little bit worse. What kind of man? A little flattened nose from all of his fist fights in the army. An empty shell. A lonely cell in which an empty heart must dwell. What kind of lips are these that lied with every kiss that whispered empty Right, that's what kind of fool am I. He also returned to Broadway in 1964 and received a Tony nomination for his work in Golden Boy. Have you ever heard of Golden Boy? I don't think so. I have no idea what it is. Maybe we'll figure out when we do our season on Broadway. Yeah. In 1966, he hosted a short-lived variety show called The Sammy Davis Jr. Show, because that's what they called things back then. Mm-hmm. Despite his insane success, Sammy struggled against the racial barriers in the U.S., in Vegas, where he performed regularly, he faced horrible laws. He wasn't allowed to stay in the hotels where he performed. Oh, my God. Instead, he had to stay in rooms all the way across town. Oh, my God. He wasn't allowed to eat in the hotels or oh gamble in the casinos where he was performing. He also wasn't even allowed a dressing room and had to hang out outside by the pool between his sets. Later in his career, Sammy refused to work in places that practice these kinds of segregation laws. Good for him. Yeah, after he was able to, like, veto it more. Ugh. 
Probably because of this discrimination in the 60s, Sammy got pretty active in the civil rights movement. I'm sure. Even yeah. participating in the March of, on Washington in mm -hmm. 1963. Cool. His refusal to play in segregated clubs was a turning point in Vegas and Miami Beach and is largely credited with helping desegregate the entertainment scene in those cities. Wow. It's crazy that he had that much influence. That he could literally, like, change laws because he's like, no, I'm not going to play there if you don't even let me eat in the freaking place. Mm. But, um, like, the amount of guts that that took, yeah, too, sure. like, that is Because that's, like, his livelihood. Wild. Like, he's yeah. putting his entire career on the line for that. Yeah, he's demanding the respect that he deserves, and I'm so excited about it, and I hate it at the same time. It turned out the club owners cared more about getting Sammy to play there than they did about segregation. It's all about money. He also married a white woman when interracial marriage was still banned in 31 states. Nice. JFK asked him not to attend his inauguration so that he didn't anger the white Southerners by being there. Anger the white <laughs> Southerners! I mean, that was a Down huge... Down with the white Southern racists! <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously that's... Sorry for the yelling. Obviously, that's wrong, but JFK already was having a real hard time down south. So, like, I, it's hard for me to say I get what, like, politically, I understand the <laughs> motive behind it, but it was very bad, and he shouldn't have done it. Like, that's why he was in Dallas when he got shot, because he was losing Texas, and that was a major swing state. So, that's why he went there to try and, like, rally the voters, and then they ended up killing him. So, didn't work out. <sighs> Canada provided a little bit of help to performers trying to break through the color barrier. In 1959, he started in a show called Sammy's Parade in Canada that was very popular. And I think a few other African-American performers at this time also had like more success in Canada because they, you know, weren't as terrible as us. <laughs> 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 the mid to late... Oh, God. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> The mid to late 1960s saw him incredibly busy. He still you just sometimes think about the fact that you're from Tennessee. <laughs> Do you just sometimes think about that and go, mm. <laughs> mm. The mid to late 1960s. And I'm German! <laughs> ah! The mid to late 1960s saw him incredibly busy. He still performed on Broadway on occasion, but mostly stayed performing in the club scene. He recorded music when he could. He starred in television and films when available. He said that he was unable to sit still, so he kept following his life's philosophy of doing what he was good at. I bet he had a lot of fun. Yeah, just to kind of see where he's at musically. Here's a song from 1968 called Up, Up, and Away. This was also on reprise. This is your captain. Prepare for takeoff. I tried to this get, is awesome. I tried to get videos of him performing. Sammy Davis Jr. Up, up, and some pretty ladies. Oh, look at him go! What's happening with his hair, though? Oh, okay, it's not his hair. Would you like to glide in my beautiful? We could float among the stars together, 
they like disco outfits. Place I don't know. In my beautiful balloon. Right. No, 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 well, no, no. I like it. Away. The world is a nicer <laughs> place. It is beautiful balloon. I get it. Let's keep going. Let's see if I can see when he was performing this. Nope, they don't say. Anyway, it was up, up, and away. Not my favorite of his songs, but you know. I loved the energy. I just don't. I feel like it's in your window, but I don't know what for. <laughs> I mean, it might not be. Maybe it's drugs. I don't know. Why is the balloon beautiful? I don't. I have no idea. Let's dissect this. We should. We should listen to the rest of the song. Nope, we're already moved on. I closed out of the tap. <laughs> Sammy was still successful through most of the '70s, but his career was slowing down. His style of music and performing wasn't as popular as it once had been, and he wasn't able to adapt as well as some of the other performers. He looks like he was doing an okay job. I get, but I mean, like, that's not going to hold up to, like, the British Invasion and, like, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and all the, like, the cool hip bands. That's true. That is no and cool then, hip Rolling Stones. <laughs> and then the 70s is when the, like, precursor to metal and harder rock like led zeppelin and all that started happening so and all the like free love type stuff so he's a little behind the times he's he was still popular in vegas and he still performed occasionally appearing on tv and in movies but mostly he faded into the background he was always a bit reclusive even during the height of his career which went against the party animal image of the rat pack some people even said that the image of the Rat Pack partying hard all the time was completely fabricated and they didn't even drink on stage. It was just a juice and lemonade that they were sipping on. Not lemonade, apple juice. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm not in a position to say how true that is, but we talk about that more when we talk about Dean Martin because his kids were very adamant that like Dean's thing is he would always grab a whiskey when he went on stage and they were like, no, it was apple juice almost every time. Like he would that makes sense. He would do his set, maybe have a cocktail at the bar, and then be home for dinner. Like he wasn't, he wasn't a party animal. Like his, that's so precious. But he made an image as this yeah. like lovable. Way to go, publicity. He built his image as like a lovable drunk guy. So like he was just basically acting drunk most of the time. Because hell yeah, because then yeah. you still don't do something dumb, and you have the vocal control yeah. to perform. Yep. But like, I, do you think that's what Maddie's doing from um? 19... 1975? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> he did get his first number one hit in 1972 with Candyman. Candyman can? Yep. Here's Candyman. Candyman. This is my favorite part of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Candyman. Everybody, let's gather around. The candy man is here. Now, what kind of candy you want? Sweet chocolate, chocolate malt, candy, gumdrops, anything you want. You come to the right man because I'm the candy man. I'm torn because like I think he'd be a good Wonka, but I also think he's really young for Wonka. He looks not. He just looks younger. Yeah, I feel like Wonka's supposed to be like this older, older like forty guy. I'm excited about a young Willy Wonka. I mean, Johnny Depp was kind of young when he did Wonka. I never saw him. Never saw the Johnny Depp? Nope. I don't know if I've even seen the original one. What? 
<laughs> I think I watched it in school and didn't what? care that much about it. Oh my gosh. You're missing candy, man. I, I mean, I know candy. Yeah, but do you guys care more about candy? Can the groovy women hide? What I heard? Very like commercial I Candyman. We are watching. Oh man, do you need to see both or do you just need to see one? Because if you need to see both, we have to start with Johnny Depp and then go to Gene Wilder. Really? But if I thought everyone liked the Gene Wilder one way more. We yes, that's right. Oh. Because you will not enjoy Johnny Depp. Like if you watch, if we do. Gene Wilder and then oh, Johnny okay. Depp. Johnny That's Depp will saying. just look like shit. Which, I mean, it's just never it appealed was to own, me as a story. So I've, I've not really cared to search it out because it's always just been a weird story that I don't. What? On it. You didn't like read the book as a kid and like no. love it? What? This grown man abducts children and kills them in his chocolate factory. I'm not interested. <laughs> it's just weird. I was never, I didn't really read it much as a kid. We need to watch the Gene Wilder one. We need okay. to watch the Gene Wilder one. Because the, you just described the Johnny Depp one, but the Gene Wilder one is different. I feel like the kids are supposed to just disappear in his factory. No, they learn their lesson. Oh, well, all right. Well, in the 80s, other than a tour with Frank and Dean Martin that got canceled because the other two had a falling out, Sammy didn't really make much noise. He didn't really do that much. He seemed to enjoy his status as a showbiz legend and didn't really feel like trying to be on the top again, which more power to him. Wow. <laughs> the wisdom. <laughs> Man has been doing show business since he was eight years old and he's like, nah, dude, I'm good. <laughs> I have a good image. Peace out. Like yep. mad props to that. He still loved daytime television and he would make regular guest appearances whenever he could. That's awesome. He's just like chilling, having yeah. fun. Just doing things he wants to do rather than things he has to do. He also appeared in a few different movies in this time. In the 80s, while his career continued full strength, his health started to decline. He was a heavy smoker throughout his life, and doctors found a large tumor in his throat in 1989. Later in 1989, he gave what would be his last performance. Doctors said that surgery was the best course of action to treat his throat cancer, but he said he'd prefer to keep his voice than have part of his throat removed. Mm. Although the cancer appeared to be in remission after treatment, it returned and Sammy passed away at the age of 64 in 1990. Wow. At the time of his death, he was deeply in debt to the IRS <laughs> to the tune of about $7 million. What? <laughs> And somehow, his estate wasn't worth that much. So his widow was forced to auction off a lot of his personal belongings and memorabilia. Bummer. Yep. Sammy struggled throughout his life, like they all did, with various addictions to alcohol and drugs, especially after one of his divorces. But his most serious addiction was to gambling, which ate up most of his fortune. Guess that's what happens when you spend all your time in Vegas. Yeah, he was finally allowed in the room. So he's <laughs> like, all right, here we go. I must be lucky. 
<laughs> to see this level of change. You must be lucky to not be arrested by the IRS when you owe $7 million. Yeah, for real. I don't know how that happened. Especially he's a black man. I don't know how they just let him go owing that much. Sammy Davis Jr. was one of the most legendary performers in American history. He helped break down racial lines in American entertainment and fought for equal rights before even the civil rights movement got going. He faced a fair amount of abuse for his political opinions when people perceived him as supporting Nixon in the Vietnam War. I don't know if he did actually support that or if that's just what people thought, but Interesting. he got a lot of pushback from that. But despite all of that, he was a massive influence to so many different performers, dancers, and singers. He paved the way for a lot of other supremely talented African Americans to get their due on American screens. Nice. That's Sammy Davis Jr. Thanks, Sammy Davis Jr. Big next, fan. Next week we're doing Dean Martin, then Frank, then Nat King Cole. And then we're going to get back into the actual like timeline stuff. That sounds lovely. Is there a bug on your computer? Uh, probably. All right, anything you want to say about Sammy to sign us off? Sayonara, Sammy. Sayonara. Who can take a sunrise?